Therefore, what manner of person ought we to be? Forgiveness. Well, we're now going to read from the Word of God, and our brother Bruce Trenworth is going to lead us in reading Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to verse 43. Brother Bruce. Well, I now have pleasure in asking our brother Chris Sales from the Shelburne Ecclesia in Canada to address us to the title, Therefore, what manner of person ought we to be? Forgiveness. Thank you, brother Chris. Thanks, Brother John. Well, certainly a good morning to you all, brethren and sisters. And uh, we'd like to certainly open by saying uh, thanks for the, uh, the invite. The committee has done a lot of work in preparing the conference, and uh, we've been very impressed with the, uh, the organization and uh, are very happy to be involved in it. Uh, my sister wife, Martha, and I are happy to be here. We also brought our youngest son with us, Abel, who uh, was born in Australia almost nine years ago when we were here. And uh, he's happy to be back and, uh, in, his, in his homeland. Uh, I have lots of greetings to bring from so many people uh, back, in, back home. So I thought I would just do my first one here, say hello to everyone who you might know in Canada. They send their greetings. And I will return greetings from you all to them when we return. It's amazing the connections we have and the bonds of the truth. And uh, it's something about uh, the Adelaide area in particular and my home area of Ontario. Uh, there's so many connections. It really is wonderful. Uh, well, as was mentioned, uh, our sort of overall theme is what manner of persons ought we to be. Uh, what we're looking at in particular is parables that are unique to Luke's gospel. So each, each study will be looking at one or two parables, but we'll, we'll try and, and uh, connect it back to, uh, to uh, the, the overall theme there. And uh, this first one, class number one, is about forgiveness. So when we're thinking about what per manner of persons ought we to be, we know that none of us are there yet. It's, we're all a work in progress. And so we've kind of taken, um, I guess, themes from, from various of these parables. And, and this one in particular here looks at, at forgiveness. Now, forgiveness, brothers and sisters, is, is not an option. Okay, it's not sort of one of those things that we can kind of, you know, get to at some point if we like. It, it's, not, it's not an option. You know, it's, it's the only thing that really is repeated in the Lord's Prayer, isn't it? Sort of said... Uh, in, in two ways, you know, we have to forgive those who trespass against us, and we, we plead for forgiveness in, in the Lord's Prayer. Um, forgiveness is, is something that we have to learn how to do. We can't just sort of let things happen and think it's going to happen naturally. In fact, quite the opposite. If we, if we allow our nature to dictate how we will react in situations, it will probably be the opposite of forgiveness, so this topic is, is one that, that's, that's very, very vital. In fact, on, on, on Friday in our last class on humility, we're going to see it ties in with this. It's, it's something we need to work on. In fact, I've heard it said that at some point in your life, someone's going to hurt you deeply. It's, it's going to happen. And you will need to forgive them or it will be the end of your walk in the truth. It, it's that significant. It's that important. And it was a lesson that we're going to see Simon the Pharisee here um, had, had to learn. And it's one that we need to learn. So sort of by way of introduction, just maybe to highlight the significance of our very first class on forgiveness. Now, this account here, uh, we had the, the context of the parable read. Uh, and, and you'll see that it's, it's the, the story of, of this woman who comes and anoints Jesus uh, with the alabaster box of, of precious ointment. Now, some will consider that, there's, uh, that this is similar to some other accounts. Uh, in, in Matthew 26, 
uh, Mark 14 and John 12. You don't have to turn to those. But some have said these are all sort of the same incident. And, and I'm not sure that it is. And, and I don't mean to, um, to have to go through this, this chart here in detail. But I would suggest to you that Luke chapter 7 here is unique. The incident that's recorded here is, is separate from the other two. And just very quickly looking through this chart, we've broken it into various details, the host, the woman, the location, the time, and some other miscellaneous events. And, and don't try and copy this all down. If you want to get it from me later, um, by all means, we can. Um, in, in Matthew and Mark, we're told the host was, was Simon the leper specifically. Um, and in John 12, it says that Martha served. Uh, here in Luke 7... Uh, it's, it's Simon who's called a Pharisee. So there's a connection there, perhaps, between the name of the, of, of the, uh, the man involved in the incident. Uh, there's, in, in Matthew and Mark, there's just as there's a woman who, who uh, anointed Jesus. Uh, in John chapter 12, we're told it's Mary. And in Luke 7 here, it's a woman, unnamed woman, who is, is specifically identified as a sinner. And we'll look at that in a little bit more detail. Um, the location, I think, is significant. In the Matthew, Mark, and John accounts, it was definitely Bethany. But here in Luke 7, you can, you can sort of flip back and forth if you like, but he's, he's in Galilee. He's, he's in the north. He's not down um, near, near Bethany at all, we would seem from the context of, of Luke 7. The timing, I think, is significant. Specifically in Matthew, Mark, and John, uh, it's either two days before his death or perhaps six days before his death. We know the chronology is a little bit difficult. But it's at the end of his, of his ministrations, here in Luke 7, I mean, we're early in the piece. I mean, it's, it's only Luke chapter 7, uh, Luke being the historical account, and Luke trying to set things in order. I would suggest to you that this is much more early in his ministry. We haven't even gotten to the transfiguration. So I, I think the events here in Luke 7 are unique. And not that that's significant necessarily to our topic this morning, but I thought it would be uh, important for you to, to see that. Some of the miscellaneous events, um, you can see there's a lot more detail there in Luke 7, and particularly for us this morning, it's in Luke chapter 7 only that this parable is recorded. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that Jesus didn't speak a parable on the other incidents, but here it's specifically recorded. So um, I thought that was important, just a little bit of context to our, to our study here this morning. Now, as we were reading in, uh, in beginning at verse uh, 36 there, uh, it says, one of the Pharisees desired him that he would, he would eat with him. <clears throat> If you have a, a colored pencil, you may want to color in uh, the word the Pharisee. In about five verses here, we're told four times that Simon is a Pharisee. And you think, well, why do we need to be told that? Look, you got it twice there in verse 36. One of the Pharisees desired him. He went to the Pharisee's house. He sat at meat in the Pharisee's house. And in verse 39, when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it. Now, later on, we find out that he has a name because Jesus calls him by name, which is interesting. But up to this point, he's a Pharisee. And, and that's going to be important to understand the context of the parable, the attitude of the, of the individual there, and, um, and, and what that significance that is for us. So just by highlighting that, it's like, why are we being told time and time again that Jesus is in a Pharisee's home? It says that he desired, he, would, he, would, he was a desirous for him to come and eat with him. The interesting thing is, what was the motivation of, of Simon the Pharisee? And, and we're not sure. It's interesting later, if you turn over to um, verse 49, that some of his friends are there as well. And they're going to react to what Jesus does and says here in this, in this incident. 
uh, they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, who is this that forgives sins also? They were very critical. And this was typical, wasn't it? The Pharisees really wanted to watch him. We're going to see that in some of the other parables we look at. They almost set Jesus up. They're, they're, they're testing him and, and, and how this woman got into the Pharisee's house and how she got into such close contact with Jesus. We're not sure. It doesn't say. But the fact is they're watching him and they're judging him based on what he's doing. And, and this is really sort of how they, the Pharisees... Um, acted. And so right up front we understand that that's, that's what Jesus is facing here in this home. He's been invited. Perhaps, uh, perhaps it was sort of um, a, a chance to observe Jesus and, and test him out. Um, we're going to see later on that he judges Jesus. But there's not a sincere desire. He's not inviting him over for dinner to maybe learn anything or get to know him better. There's, there's a critical element to this in, in terms of uh, the Pharisees' perspective. And I just thought a couple of passages here. This is sort of the pharisaical attitude that, uh, that we see uh, in, in Jesus' interaction with them. Isaiah 65, verse 5 here. You know, they're saying, stand by yourself, come not near to me, I am holier than thou. Um, you know, he was distancing himself. How could Jesus allow this, this woman to touch him? Is he really a prophet? Maybe that was the reason for Jesus, for, uh, Jesus being invited in the first place. You know, we've, I've heard that he's a prophet. Well, is he really a prophet? We'll set him up and see. You know, is he, is he as holy as, as we are? This is Simon the Pharisee speaking. Um, and, of course, God's response is, there is smoke in my nose, a fire that burns all the day. And, and I'm sure Jesus, we're going to see in, in how he reacts to Simon, uh, has that similar, in, in a compassionate way, reaches out to him. But he must have been very frustrated with, with Simon's attitude towards this woman in particular. And, you know, I think there's an exhortation here for us, brothers and sisters, right off the bat, as we're introduced to the first individual uh, in this, in this uh, incident here, Simon the Pharisee. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, the admission of the Spirit is that we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. We can't be comparing each other. We can't say, well, at least I'm better than that person or, you know, that sort of uh, thing that comes naturally to us. He says, that's, that's dangerous. The, the Spirit goes on to say, they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. You know, there's the Pharisee, and he's saying, well, why is Jesus letting this woman touch him? How, you know, she's a sinner. How, how could he allow contact with that? You can see what he's doing. He's saying, well, you know, Jesus coming into my house, that's okay, because, you know, I'm, I'm holy. But, but how can Jesus allow interaction with this, with this woman? It's not wise, brothers and sisters, can, to compare ourselves amongst ourselves. The, o- the only standard, the only thing, the only person we're to measure ourselves against would be the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, in that we all fall short. And so we're humbled. But as soon as we start kind of looking for people that are maybe in a worse situation than us or have done things that we've never done, oh, we can feel pretty good about ourselves. And that was Simon the Pharisee. You know, he focused on the externals, didn't he? Uh, he, 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 based, he, he judged the woman based on this reputation that, he, that she had. Uh, and then he goes and judges Jesus based on the fact that he allows some contact with himself and this woman. So it's all external. You know, it's interesting. He does say there in, uh, to himself... In verse 39, if this man were a prophet, he would have known what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she's a sinner. So he's judged Jesus, and, and he's, he's based, he's based his, um, his feelings or his, his assessment of Jesus on what he's allowing to happen. It's all based on externals. Just keep something there in Luke, in Luke chapter 7 and flip over to Philippians chapter 2 because we need an antidote for this. It's, not, it's easy to see it in Simon the Pharisee, and I think you know, we often do that, don't we? We, kind of, we can make judgments based on, on uh, what we read, and we think, oh, you know, that's a pharisaical view. But the reason it's here in Scripture, brethren and sisters, is because 
there's a Pharisee in each one of us. That, that tendency to, to judge other people, to, to, to put ourselves above them. And, and there's an antidote to that in Scripture, and it's over in Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> in Philippians chapter 2, um, well, it's just, just we, there's a whole wonderful section here, but if we were to read verses 3 and 4, I think we get the sense. It says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind... Let each esteem other better than themselves. If we could just, if we could just live by that, brothers and sisters. If, if, uh, if Simon had had that attitude towards Jesus or towards the woman, if he had esteemed them better than himself, he wouldn't have got himself into the difficulty he was going to find himself in, where Jesus really puts the screws to him and really shows him he, he was the one that was, was in, pro, in, 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 in trouble. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others, the welfare of others. And then, of course, verse 5. Jesus is the standard, isn't he? We can't compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And if anyone had reason to boast or to feel good about themselves, surely it was Jesus. But he's our example of esteeming others better than than ourselves and, and being in lowliness of mind. So there's Simon. We've been introduced to Simon then in this, this record in, uh, in Luke chapter 7. Back to Luke chapter 7. It says in verse 37, Behold, a woman in the city, or a woman of the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus uh, sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster box of ointment. Just, just a, a comment here from, from a commentary. The ter- this term, the sinner, is used in the New Testament to describe Gentiles or Jews who acted as Gentiles. It was definitely derogatory, was it not? We understand that. Uh, but, but the Jewish mentality was just sort of to, um, you know, any Gentile would, would have to be classed with, you know, was in the sinner class, as it were. And there's some references there. You can look up Matthew 26 and Galatians 2. It is likely, therefore, that Simon's prejudice against the woman was not just her past behavior, but perhaps had been her nationality. Now, we're not making that a dogmatic statement, but whatever, he's, he's looked down upon her, he's judged her based on, an, on a reputation that she had, perhaps her nationality, perhaps what, some other associations that she had. And uh, just, just a, a comment here. This is the Apostle Paul's description of himself, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. So instead of looking at the woman saying, well, how could, how, what's going on here? She's a sinner. Simon should have been looking at himself and saying, you know, I'm a sinner too. And, and of course, the, the wonderful, I guess, irony you could say, brothers and sisters, is that's who Jesus came to save. And we're going to see from this parable, if we don't see ourselves as sinners... We can't be saved because Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save sinners. We have to see ourselves in that class because then we can be helped. You know what did Jesus say? You know they that need a, a, a who needs a physician. It's not those that are whole or see themselves as such, but those that are sick. We need to see ourselves in need of saving, which means we're we're a sinner. And we're going to see that that is uh, exactly what this woman was after. She was after salvation. She wanted to be, to be saved. She saw herself for who she was. And so she had a better perspective and, of, of who she was. Simon didn't have a clue who she was or who he was. That's the point that we're going to see. It's interesting that she's, she's a couple of times she's called a sinner. 
Um, Simon in his mind in verse 39 says that, that she is a sinner. And of course the commentary in verse 37 describes her as a sinner. And again, just a little bit of the context, what comes just before this incident? It's the whole thing about John the Baptist and Jesus. And, and, and Jesus is frustrated with the Pharisees, the Pharisees and, the, and the, the Jews at that time, saying, you know, John came with a sort of austere, austere lifestyle, and he's always crazy, all right? And Jesus came interacting with, with publicans and sinners, and you say he's a, a glutton and a wine-bibber. So it's like, it doesn't matter what we do, John the Baptist or myself, you're going to judge us, uh, you know, in, in, a, in a false way. But at the end of that, look at verse 34. The Son of Man has come, eating and drinking, and you say, Behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. That's very telling. That was the assessment of the, of the, of the Jews at that time of Christ. But how true is it? Jesus is a friend of sinners. They used it derogatorily. But he actually is a friend of sinners. He, he's a friend of each one of us, fortunately. If he wasn't a friend of sinners, none of us would have a hope. So yes, she was a sinner. And Jesus was her friend. And Jesus is going to save her through offering forgiveness to her. That's what we're going to learn. So let's not be too hasty to judge this woman based on the evaluation of Simon the Pharisee. You know, how often do we, do we judge people based on what we've heard about them? We don't even know them, but we've heard about them. Oh, I heard about this. I, someone told me about that. And, and we judge people based on what we hear about them. Rather, we should look at ourselves as sinners and esteem others better than ourselves. Now, when she begins to interact with Jesus, this is no show, brothers and sisters. This isn't sort of, she isn't acting this out. She isn't going through some sort of charade or, or you know, checklist. Well, I got to do this, I got to do that. This is absolutely sincere. Uh, verse 38 there, she, she stood at his feet. Okay, she, she's, she's humbled herself. She's weeping. She's washing his feet with tears. She wipes them with the hairs of her head and kisses his feet and anoints them with oil. This is no show. The, the word weeping there is, uh, is quite a strong word. It means to sob, to wail aloud. In fact, there's an entirely different Greek word for sort of a, a silent kind of, you know, um, uh, you know a silent cry. This is, this is very emotional. She's very emotional, what's, what's here, and she's, she's wailing. The, the word to wash his feet literally means to, to moisten, and it's used in another context of like a shower. I mean, the tears are coming out of her. This is, this is absolute... Uh, you know, her, her emotion being, being shown. And, and the word kiss there is, is to kiss earnestly. It, it's the same word that's used of the father of the prodigal son when he returns and was kissed by his father. It, it's the word that's used of, of the brethren and sisters of Ephesus as they had to get, say goodbye to Paul, realizing they'd see him no more, and they, they kissed him. It's that kind of a kiss. It's an emotional, it's a, it's a passion. It's, it's, there's the real feeling there. And she's kissing his feet. This is how much devotion she was showing to him. I would suggest to you, brothers and sisters, that she understood who Jesus was. You know, she's sort of uh, discounted by Simon. Oh, she's just a, a woman of the city. She's a sinner. You know, how could she possibly know? But she must have. She must have known who Jesus was. She must have known what he was about to accomplish. She understood his, his life, death, and resurrection, what, she, what he was there for. She understood all that and the impact that, she, that he would have on her. She had an, an incredible amount of understanding and faith. And you know what? She was willing to show that faith. What action, what demonstration of faith and, and, and love. In fact, we could say from what's the description there in verse 38, that she shows abundant love or extravagant love. She, 
the, the emotion and, and what she's willing to do and the sacrifice that she's willing to make with this expensive alabaster box of ointment is an exhortation to us just in, just in what she's done. Her, her, her faith, her, her belief is being shown forth in action, in works, in demonstration. And Simon could not understand what was going on. He didn't have a clue. He was at wit's end. He couldn't understand her. He couldn't understand Jesus' reaction to her. The, the paradigm that Simon had, his perspective on things, he, he couldn't imagine doing this. He couldn't imagine ever doing what the woman did. And he couldn't imagine ever having it allowed to be done to him. He, he was just, he was just, he, he lost, he lost, he could not understand what was going on. And yet he was supposedly the, the Bible student, the, the holy one. He, you know, she was just a sinner. And we're going to see in this parable that Jesus tells um, that, that everything gets completely turned on its head. And, and Simon is sh- shown to be the one in real need. And she is shown to be the one that has absolute faith and, and is therefore saved by that faith. And so this parable is told, brothers and sisters, just a couple of verses. We haven't read verse 39 yet. Let's just, this, is, this is important. When the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself. He's just thinking. Okay, so this is his thoughts, brothers and sisters. This man, if he were a prophet. Oh, I've heard rumors about this Jesus of Nazareth. Is he really a prophet or is he not? Well, here's the conclusion Simon's drawing. If he's a prophet, he would have known what, sorry, who and what manner of woman this is that touches him for she's a sinner. So he's already made a decision. Can't possibly be a prophet. How could a prophet of God allow this to happen? And so Jesus answers him. Now, every word in Scripture is significant, isn't it? In, in verse 39, the Pharisee's thinking within himself. But Jesus answers him. Oh boy, is, is he going to learn a lesson, this Simon the Pharisee? And who is this man a prophet? He's reading his mind. So Jesus answers him, Simon, I I have something to say to thee. Calls him by his name. I think that's significant. Simon, I have somewhat to say to thee. And he says, oh, oh," you you can see he's almost caught off. He was daydreaming. He was thinking about this, you know, if this man could be a prophet. He's brought back to reality. Oh, oh, master, yeah, say on, sure. What do you have to say? And he tells this parable. Let's just read the parable again. There was a certain creditor which had two debtors, The one owed 500 pence and the other 50. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, Simon, which of them will love him most? Oh, what a parable. This is, Jesus is going to answer Simon's uh, challenge that he just thought in his mind, and then some. Oh, boy, is he going to get an answer from, from the Lord. Now, there's a few keys to the parable here. The relative size of the debt was significant. Okay, Jesus makes this point. There's one that owed 500 pence, or denarii, I believe was the, 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 the version we had read to us, and the other 50. Now, that, that's significant, that they're, they're different. There's, you know, there's, there's ones would be considered quite large, 10 times larger than the other. This is vital. Look, I don't know, if, if, you wanna, if, you, if you're into coloring into your Bible or underlining things, what about the beginning of verse 42? When they had nothing to pay, Neither of them could pay, brothers and sisters. 
And there's Simon sitting there, probably thinking that he didn't really have much to be forgiven of. You know, he probably had his checklist done. He certainly wasn't like this woman, the sinner. He still couldn't pay. So whatever state you think you are at, and, and maybe you're not where Paul was at saying, you know, Jesus, came, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Even if you don't think you're a chief sinner, you still can't pay. We cannot make up for the debt that we have. It's impossible. And both were forgiven. Did you notice that? Verse 42, when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. I believe the reading we had this morning was that the, the debt was canceled. It wasn't sort of put on a payment plan, you know, debt restructuring. Okay? They were forgiven. It was canceled, both of them. And the relative size of the response was significant. Now, in the parable, it's put as a question. Who do you think is going to love more, Simon? Who do you think is going to love more? Simon had said, if this man was a prophet, if this man, I'm not so sure now, you know, in fact, I'm pretty sure he's not because of what's going on here. If this man were a prophet, the parable was Christ's way of meeting this argument. He'd he'd heard the challenge from Simon. Is he a prophet? And the parable is the answer to that. He did know the woman. He knew her intimately. He knew she was a sinner. 500 pence, if you like. So Jesus answered that challenge. Does he know what kind of woman? Does he know this woman? Jesus knew the woman, brothers and sisters. But Jesus also knew Simon. Oh, maybe just a 50 pence debtor. That was his attitude, Simon's attitude. In fact, Jesus is going to show he knows Simon better than Simon knows himself. Jesus knew why the woman was there, and he knew what Simon thought about it. And Jesus turns the tables on Simon and ironically does with Simon what he thought he should be doing to the woman. Was there some sort of rebuke required for the woman? This, this, this parable is going to strike Simon in the heart and hopefully have a good impact on him. And he reveals that Simon is unrepentant and unthankful. And he tells this parable of the, of the two debtors. Now, there's really three key, three key questions in this, in this incident um, that, that Jesus challenges Simon with. As often, we're going to see in all his, his parables as we go through the week that often he answers the challenge, the questions, with other questions. So there's these three questions, and we read the one of them there in verse 42. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him the most? Verse 43, Simon uh, answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he had forgave the most, and he said, you've judged rightly. Verse 44, he, Jesus, turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? Seest thou this woman? That's a challenging question. Oh, oh, Simon had seen her. He judged her already. But look, look what Jesus saw. This is, this is you know, it's like what, what pair of glasses have you got on? When we see incidents in, li- in, in life, when we, we see brethren and sisters involved in circumstances, when, when, when we get into to situations ourselves, perhaps our children, what do we see? That's what Jesus says. Do you see this woman, Simon? Have you really had a good look? Not just based on her reputation and the fact you've heard that she's a woman of the city and she's a sinner. Have you seen what she's done? Has that meant anything to you, Simon? And, and look at it here in, in, in verse 44. Do you see this woman? 
And have you seen yourself? Have you, have you taken a look in the mirror? I entered into your house. Your house. You gave me no water for my, my feet. That's just a common courtesy, Simon. You didn't give it to me. You were, holding, you were reserving judgment on me. You weren't going to treat me even just as a, as a, as a typical guest into your home. You didn't give me any, any water. She's washed my feet with tears. You didn't provide a t- towel to, to dry my feet. She's washed them with the hairs of her head. You didn't kiss me, Simon. Can, can you imagine that? I mean, we're told that sort of the Middle Eastern custom is, you know, they, they, they kiss each other as a form of greeting. Simon, you didn't do that to me. But this woman, since the time I came, came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. Simon, did you see the woman? Did you see what she's done? Have you seen your own, your own self? Have you reflected upon your own actions, your own behavior? Or are you just sort of too content in your own smugness? Can't see sort of past that. My head with oil you didn't anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Simon, do you, do you see what's going on here? So these, these three questions. The, the third question is, is, a, is a challenging question from the audience in verse 49. Who is this that forgives sins? They haven't got the point. They, you know, it, it's directed to Simon, but obviously all his friends are there as well. And Jesus is speaking to all of them. And, and they, it's, it's just sort of going in one ear and out the other, I guess. So Simon admits that the one forgiven more would feel the most obliged and should therefore love more. It's sort of his logical conclusion. And Jesus said he answered wisely. I think the point is there, brothers and sisters, that our actions declare our heart. How thankful are we? How thankful are we? Simon saw nothing but the woman's past reputation. Perhaps, you know, perhaps she had a, uh, was uh, involved in, in immoral behavior. We're, we're not sure. It's not given any details. But that was her um, reputation that she brought, and he had judged her based on that. Jesus saw one that was born again and was demonstrating that by her actions and by her love abundantly. Her actions declared her faith. We think of, of the uh, passages in James. You know, that faith has to be to, to show itself forth in action. She's doing it. Simon had not. So Simon was so, showing what kind of person he was based on what he was doing or not doing, and, and so was she. And Christ can forgive those who truly repent of their sins and turn to him in faith. Once freed from sin's oppressive debt, remember we're all sinners, we've all got a debt we can't pay, and it's been forgiven. Once we've been freed by that, what's our reaction? Is it more like Simon, or is it more like this woman? We have to show forth our gratitude, our thankfulness to him. Yes, by holy living. We need to change our ways. She needed to change her ways. She understood that probably better than anyone else. She understood she had to change, but it's in loving service and devotion to others. She was able to do it to the master. How do we show our love and our devotion and our our service and our thankfulness to our master? Can anyone here wash Jesus' feet? Can can they cry and and wipe them with the, the hairs of our head? Can we do that to Jesus? He's not alive now in that sense of physically now. We know he's alive in heaven, going to return. So what does Jesus say? How do we show our love to him? We do it to the least of his brethren. That's what we have to do. We can't despise them. We have to serve them. And that's what the example here of this woman that we have in front of us. So the lesson is all really about attitude, isn't it, brothers and sisters? 
And if there's one takeaway from this, from this class, I would suggest it would be this. Her actions of devotion were the result of the forgiveness offered, not the cause of it. She wasn't forgiven because of what she did for Jesus. She was already forgiven. The debt had been canceled. They couldn't pay. 500 pence, 50 pence, neither could pay. The debt was canceled. And what we see in this woman is her, re- her reaction to that knowledge. She knew she was a sinner, and she knew Jesus had forgiven her. And now she's showing her thankfulness. She's not trying to earn her salvation or forgiveness by what she's doing. It's already happened. And this is a scriptural principle, brothers and sisters, that we have to understand. Romans 5 and 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And another one here. Sorry about that spinning. 1 John 4.19. We love him because he first loved us. It's so important for us to keep that in mind, brothers and sisters. The things that we do, our, our, our service, our life, everything that we do has to be based on that. She acted in response to the forgiveness already offered in Christ. And we have to ask ourselves, do we keep this principle in the forefront of our minds? Our actions, everything we do, have to be governed by this this principle. It turned the pharisaical um, sort of paradigm on its head. Simon was was lost. He didn't understand what was going on. He thought he was okay. He checked his list, done this, done that. He didn't, didn't see any need to show much thankfulness. He didn't think he had much to be thankful for. Could we ever get to that point in our lives? Just keep a finger there and turn over to to Psalm 130. You know, this isn't new. Uh, Christ showed this example, obviously, and he's he's the the prime example of it. But this is is a a divine axiom. This is is truth from the, the first page to the last of our scriptures. That God extends to us mercy and and forgiveness. And he's simply asking us for a response. He really just wants us to say thanks. And then show that we're thankful by the things that we do. Uh, Sorry, there's Psalm 130. Psalm 130. And let's just read verse 3 and 4. If thou, Yahweh, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? We've got to understand that. We have a debt. doesn't matter if it's 500 pence or 50 pence. We can't pay it. Sorry about that. If God were to mark iniquity, we wouldn't stand. We wouldn't have a hope. So what's he done? He's provided a way that we can be forgiven. That's done. So what's our response to it? Verse 4, there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Why do we fear God? Why do we love God? Why do we want to serve God? Because he's forgiven us. That's the lesson from this parable. From this woman, the sinner. She's showing us And our pharisaical selves, our pharisaical hearts sometimes, that we're more like Simon. She's showing us that her devotion was the result of the forgiveness offered. We fear God because he's forgiven us. We don't have to earn that. We have to have faith and confidence and trust in his ability to save us. For us, repentance and baptism are not works to earn grace. It's a response to the grace given. Notice in this, in this whole incident here uh, with Jesus back in Luke chapter 7, there's no verbalizing of an I have sinned. She didn't, she didn't say a word. Her actions were speaking so much louder than her words. Jesus knew that she, she was repentant. 
And just as a little aside, what about us when, when we get into situations where someone has trespassed against us? Do we demand an apology? We've got to hear it from, you know, for, we've got to hear it from their own mouth first before we can kind of even allow any kind of interaction? Or, or do we allow people to do things, to show it's hard words can sometimes be hard and they will eventually come, but can that relationship be restored by kindnesses shown? You know, and, and not sort of judging ulterior motives. Just, a, just something to think about. You know, our, our belief affects our attitude, and our attitude affects our behavior. So, so we have to ask ourselves, who are we more like? You know, who are we in this parable? Who are we in this story? Are we Simon, or are we the woman? Do we think we only offer, I've offended 50 pence, and, you know, we sort of, well, we're thankful for this forgiveness, but it's really no big deal. Or are we showing abundant and extravagant love to our Lord and Master, and therefore to others, realizing that we have a 500 pay pence debt that we cannot pay? Do we really appreciate all that's done for us? Do we recognize that we owed 500 pence? That's a question we have to ask ourselves as we look at each other, and look at, each, at ourselves in the mirror, not looking at each other, not comparing ourselves. This is an exhortation for each one of us personally. And you know, there's an easy way to test how we feel about that, because it's right here in this parable. It's not by words, it's not what we say, it's what we do. What are our actions more like? Are we more like the cold-hearted Pharisee, or are we more like this woman? That will show how thankful we are for what's been done. Our actions, what do our actions say about us, brothers and sisters? And we can sort of test where we are in this, in this picture. You know, have, we, have, we, have you thought about what's been done? I know we've just, yesterday was, a, was, was Sunday and we had a memorial service and we're able to examine ourselves and reflect upon that. Sometimes I think we maybe get caught up in, and maybe a little bit more of a, the ritual of it. Have we ever really thought about how much Jesus has loved us? Have you asked yourself, you know, how much does Jesus love me? And I think we have it graphically demonstrated in the account in, in, uh, in the Gospels. When we have to, how much does Jesus love us? He loves us this much, brothers and sisters. He gave himself for us. And the, the, the passage there from Psalms, as far as east is from west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He, the debt's been canceled. We need to show thankfulness for that. How will you show your love for, for Christ and for what he's done by acting like him and by forgiving others? Now, this passage here, you can, um, well, it's just here on the screen. From Luke 17. We're going to come back here, actually. Um, whoops. Let's just go back here. Uh, in our last class. So I don't want to spend any more time here. We're, we're a little short on time. But just as we wrap this up, thinking about forgiveness. What manner of persons ought we to be? We ought to be more like that woman. Showing that kind of abundant and extravagant love to Christ by serving one another. By forgiving one another. By loving one another. And, and in this passage here in, in Luke 17... Um, Jesus says, look, it's impossible that offenses will come. You will be, someone will sin against you. We opened with that, right? At some point in your life, someone is going to sin against you and hurt you deeply. It's going to happen. Jesus says it's, it's an impossibility that it, that, it, uh, that it won't happen. So it's going to happen. Uh, and, and that, we'll, he'll have to deal with that. And we'll talk about this more on, on Friday. But look at verse 3. If your brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. If you repent, forgive him. In fact, seven times a day. It's like, 
no, how could that possibly be? You have to be forgiven seven times a day. If, you're going to if he turns, against, turns to you and asks for forgiveness, you forgive him. And, of course, the apostles ask for their faith to be increased. It's a challenge. We have to learn how to forgive. It's not going to come easily. Our faith is going to have to be increased. We're going to talk a lot this week about our faith. It's not just a, a list of, of doctrines that we can, well, yeah, I can answer all the questions. Okay? Faith is seen in action. And here it's seen in, in forgiveness. That's how important it is. We've got to get this figured out. You know, us forgiving somebody for what they've done is not necessarily equal to God forgiving them. They've got to work that out themselves. The offender and God. But our job is to forgive them. Us forgiving someone else uh, is not condoning the actions that they did. In fact, it's acknowledging that they were wrong and we're needed forgiveness of it. So we don't have to think that, well, you know, we're sort of, uh, we're kind of giving in if we forgive somebody. We've kind of said it's okay. It's not. But it is, a, it is a command to forgive them. Our offering of forgiveness does not depend on assessing whether or not we think the person is truly repentant. See, that's Simon. He's looking at the woman saying, she's a sinner. Jesus is looking at her and saying, are you kidding me? Look what she's doing. She's obviously repentant. She obviously has, uh, wants to be forgiven for what she's done. Do you see this woman, Simon? That's how we have to see each other. Offenses are inevitable. It's our reaction to them that is the key, and that's forgiveness. If we react in any other kind of way, brothers and sisters, um, we're not there yet. We need to forgive. And it's towards brothers. Notice in this passage in Luke 17, if your brother trespass against thee, not, a, not an enemy of the truth, and we have, to, we have to love our enemies as well, but how much dif more difficult can it be when it's close, a close family situation, especially in the truth. Extending forgiveness does not mean you were wrong and the other person was right. Extending forgiveness means that you value doing the right thing. It's the right thing to do. It's what we've been commanded to do. It's what we've been shown to do in Christ. And that's more important than being seen as right. See, the Pharisee mind is, well, I've got, it's all about externals. What do I look like? You know, I, I've got to distance myself from this man because, well, he's touching this woman and she's touching him. That's, that's not, it, how we're seen is irrelevant. How God sees us is what's important. Not what other people might think of us. We have to extend forgiveness. Extending forgiveness means that you value that relationship more than you value your reputation. You know, how could you possibly uh, recommit to a person who's, who's offended you grievously, greatly and grievously? But forgiveness allows that relationship to be restored. And that's what's important. Even if along the way, perhaps others are going to look at you kind of sideways and go, well, what's that all about? Just like Simon looked at Jesus. Oh, is he a prophet? Is that person really in the truth? How could they possibly reestablish this relationship that's been, that's been severed by, by sin? It's impossible, but that offenses will come. They're going to come, brothers and sisters. What's our reaction to them? And so we conclude here with what Jesus says about the woman. Verse 47. In Luke 7, wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, oh, Simon, I know her. You wondered if I knew this woman? Oh, I know her, Simon. Her sins were many. They're forgiven. She has shown much love. To whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Simon, perhaps that's you. And he said to her, thy sins are forgiven. Oh, the Pharisees respond, who can forgive sins? Who, who, does, he, who does he think he is? He said unto the woman, thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. He said the same thing to us, brothers and sisters. Your faith 
in my ability to forgive you and to save you, because that's what I've done. That's what he's saying to each one of you. Your faith in that has saved you. Go in peace. Keep on forgiving. Keep on loving. Thank you.